All right, welcome to the podcast. We have a special crew here today, Doc Collins and Pavel Samsonov, and we're going to discuss dark UX today, which is a pretty interesting topic, and uh, Doc has been doing a lot of research. Uh, I think he uh, is going to do some courses or maybe even write a book and sell it for a few million dollars, which would be cool. Uh, so... Uh, we will let uh, Doug, uh, you know, give us maybe like a couple minutes uh, overview of what uh, he has uh, researched about uh, UX uh, so far. And uh, Pavel um, mentioned that he also uh, did uh, a lot of homework on the subject. Uh, and uh, he will uh, speak after uh, Doug right away. So uh, welcome, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, uh, Doug, fire away. Let's uh, let's go to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, I, whenever I talk about dark patterns, man, I, the first thing I'd like to define is kind of what a dark pattern is. Because, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're in the UX world, everyone's kind of comfortable that, that UX is kind of, it's really seen as a way to make sort of the world a, a better, easier, more intuitive place, uh, make things more user-friendly, make things more usable. Um, and, and dark patterns are kind of the, the opposite of that. Dark patterns are the design tricks that are used to influence users into doing something they wouldn't otherwise do for the primary benefit of the designing organization, whoever out there is creating that design. So when we look at dark patterns, uh, there are kind of three key elements that I look at that helps me define whether or not something is a dark pattern. So the first thing is the design has to be intentional, right? Sometimes there's just bad design out there. Hanlon's razor is something I always like to point at, which is um, never attribute to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity, which uh, is fortunate for me that that exists out there because I've done a lot of stupid things that might be uh, considered malice. So I'm glad that that rule exists. But I mean, sometimes just bad design is bad design, right? Um, you know, it also has to trick the user into doing something they wouldn't otherwise do. So solid UX design guides users to choices that they would make on their own or that benefits them the most. But dark patterns are really all about influencing users to do the opposite of that. They're all about getting the users to make a choice that is contrary to their nature. And then sort of the last thing that I look at is the benefits of the design have to fall disproportionately to the organization that's creating the design. Because you know sometimes dark patterns may result in marginal benefits to the user, but these benefits, if they exist at all, are really small in comparison uh, to the value that they provide the designing organization. Um, so that's kind of the basic way that I look at dark patterns um, and, and kind of the rules I use to define whether or not something falls into a dark pattern. Um, there is a lot of different thought out there as, as far as the actual patterns themselves. Uh, and usually people define 15 to 20 different patterns. And it's, it's all based really though on the psychology of how people interact with computers um, and the psychology behind um, you know, that, that HCI piece, human-computer interaction. Things like frustration, greed, guilt, um, you know, the scarcity all play into um, these dark patterns and how they're designed and how they play on the psychology around how we interact with the world around us and computers in particular to get us to do these things that we wouldn't otherwise do. So as kind of your quick primer for what a dark pattern is and kind of the things going on, I think that's a pretty good start. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that um, fundamentally, the, the thing about dark patterns for me is that good user experience is honest. 
And a dark pattern is fundamentally dishonest because as you mentioned, you're taking something that a user wants to do and you're actually trying to not necessarily guide them towards what you think is right for them or trying to show them more options, but you're trying to tell them, I want you to do what's best for me. So um, I've posted on this before and of the famous uh, Nielsen heuristics, which have the 10 heuristics of uh, good user experience, really half of them are about just having an honest design. You should be honest about your system status. You should be honest about exceptions and errors that come up, honest about how to avoid them and so forth. And a dark pattern at its root is about lying to the user. It's about saying, the system status is not the actual system status. Its failings are not its failings. The options are not its options. The features are not its features. And when you're trying to sell the user something and you're ultimately lying about what you're selling them or what their options are, it's always going to come back and it's always going to bite you because those users will not resubscribe. Those users will not leave you a good response eventually they will find out that it was a bad experience. And there are a couple of papers uh, that I'll bring up later that I was able to find that are more recent. So it's you know less about, when, when folks say HCI, usually they mean, oh yeah, the, the research that was done in the 80s by Xerox Park, and uh, perhaps a little bit earlier or later, there's really a lot of much, much more recent research that shows that using dark patterns is not, like it doesn't pay. Right, yeah, and I think that that's a big, uh, a very big solid point to make is that these might give you some sort of temporary gain. It might help you meet a business metric in a short-term situation, but in my research as well that I've been doing on this, uh, very, very, very rarely, if ever, do they help uh, with long-term business goals, things like customer retention, satisfaction, uh, overall sales growth and uh, customer loyalty are, are pretty negatively affected by these. Uh, so it, it's sad that they exist at all because they are very short-sighted designs um, that are very short-sighted in the terms of they try and show uh, success at meeting a particular business goal uh, at the cost of user experience and overall business growth down the line. Um, and it's just sad to see that that's out there, but in some business environments, um, in some places that you might work, uh, the pressure to do these things uh, can certainly be there. And it's something that's very difficult for designers to deal with. Yeah, those are great points. Uh, one, one comment I would have here, uh, Doug, to your point that, uh, you know, people can uh, accomplish some short-term goals uh, by uh, doing that, but obviously long-term it will never work uh, because I think it's uh, pretty easy for humans to, uh, I mean, with the gut feeling uh, or with uh, all the experience they have so far with the internet. I think it's pretty easy uh, these days, especially with the proliferation of the dark UX patterns, to tell whether uh, a website or an application is uh, taking you for a ride or, you know, they are being honest, like uh, Pavel said. And uh, in my opinion, they... Dark UX tries to accomplish, you know, two things primarily. Uh, both are conversions. One is to make the user click as many pages as possible to increase the metrics like page views or maybe, you know, add displays. 
and the other one is uh, conversions like sign up or uh, sales or something like that. And uh, while short-term goals may be accomplished in terms of um, like you know page views and things like that, because you know if users are looking for something, they may be a little bit uh, persistent and ignore the dark UX. Um, so they may flip through uh, several more additional pages, but uh, it's very unlikely that uh, they will buy, you know, get a credit card to you uh, if they feel that this is dark. Um, th those are, you know, my thoughts that, you know, long term, there's probably absolutely no chance to be successful with this strategy. Uh, but with short term, there's really not much of a financial gain either because, you know, maximum what you can achieve is, um, you know, just few extra pages or few extra ad displays. So it's interesting you say that because um, I don't think actually it works long term or short term. Long term, if what you're doing is using dark patterns to shore up your metrics, first of all, it means your metrics are bad because you're measuring vanity metrics. You're measuring things like daily active users or you know revenue, which is nice. It's always nice to have, but it's not necessarily a leading indicator of where you're going in the future. So if you're making money now, it doesn't mean that next month you'll be making the same amount of money. If you gave folks you know, half off their first month and then they all canceled, then you've lost all of your money. And now you're driven to use even more uh, dark user experience and you've transformed you know, the return on investment in UX into just feeding your bad business model. And a lot of companies are incredibly dissatisfied with their user, user experience designers because their user experience designers are unable to support this terrible business model they've built for themselves. And they get the blame and they get the boot and then the company folds anyway because no one could have <laughs> saved them from themselves. But also, in the short term, it still doesn't work. Uh, there's this study by uh, Simon Shaw from June of, uh, of 2019, of this year. They tested uh, 2,000 British adults on a hotel website. And I'm sure we're all familiar with uh, you know, the user experience of a hotel website like Hotels.com. You go on, you start trying to book something, and there's a little pop-up in the bottom that says, ah, uh, 14 people are looking at this room right now. Uh, 20 people just bought it. There's only three rooms left. So it's been proven over and over again that those numbers are random. They literally, folks have opened up uh, the JavaScript console and they've seen the, the function that generates this number and it's a random number. Uh, they're oh, trying wow. to pursue what's called uh, scarcity and social proof. Those are the, uh, the levers they're trying to pull. And 65% of the test subjects thought that this was sales pressure. You know, the hotel wasn't, they didn't have their best interests at heart. It, it was just trying to sell them something. And 49% of all the users said they trusted the company less by seeing this. They weren't pressured to buy anything. Uh, they actually were pressured to leave and go to a different hotel. Um, only 16%, which is one in six, actually believed what the hotel was trying to tell them. And the study, unfortunately, does not mention um, how many of those 
actually went through with the purchase that would not have otherwise done so because of the uh, the message. But it's a really bad decision to do this because 16% of all your customers, you know, have this work on them. And maybe let's say half of those customers are actually going to be converted because of it. And I think that's still pretty high, but you've scared away half your audience just by doing this. So it, it is a net loss. It is a big net loss. Got a quick question. Uh, did they mention in the study that that's pretty interesting, by the way? I mean, we we see uh, I, I travel quite a bit for work uh, and I see those things, you know, every day, you know, four rooms left at this price, you know, 40 people booked this uh, trip in the last 24 hours. But, you know, personally, I always thought that uh, those numbers were legit. Uh, I did not know that companies would, you know, fall so low to actually uh, come up with random numbers. Um, did they mention in the study when people, uh, whatever that percentage of people uh, was that said that they were pressured by uh, those numbers, uh, did those people believe that those numbers were real or they knew those numbers were fake and that's why they uh, felt pressured? So it doesn't mention how many people thought that the numbers were fake. Mm -hmm. uh, it says 16% thought they were real. Um, I'm assuming the ones that it mentions as distrusting the numbers at least suspected they were fake. So it's 50% suspected it was a lie and 16% thought that it was uh, correct. And then the remainder, I suppose, would be unsure. I mean, on one hand, uh, when I book something, like, you know, if I'm really interested in a room, right, in a specific mm -hmm. room or in a specific flight, uh, and the website tells me that uh, only three seats left at this price, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, on one hand, I find it helpful because, you know, they are giving me the pretty valuable information. Like, you know, if I don't buy it now, I have a pretty good chance of losing those, uh, you know, that flight or the, that price. So, but only if I assume that this is real, right? If they throw the, all those random numbers at me uh, mm -hmm. just to pressure me into the purchase, then this is absolutely unacceptable. Uh, I mean, I just learned something today. I never even questioned uh, those numbers. Uh, I always thought that they uh, were calculated real time based on availability. Uh, but that's uh, that's pretty interesting, D Doug. What do, what do you think? Uh, if uh, if the website shows the real numbers, you know they calculate real time, um, and uh, they say you know one seat available for this flight, or you know, uh, would you consider that dark UX, or this is actually valuable information? Doug, are you there? I think you're on mute. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, I wasn't on mute. I was just not speaking into the microphone. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's not. It's not a technical problem. It's a me problem. Um, yeah. So I, I think that would depend largely on whether or not the numbers they're reporting was accurate. You know, kind of what Pavel was saying is uh, at the beginning when in kind of his introduction to things. Um, that dark patterns you know, want to try to convince you that the system state is not actually what the system state actually is. Um, some places do have the technology to do this and do try and do this um, as a way. 
of influencing behavior. And, and there is a line to be drawn between influence and dark pattern, because not every design that is meant to influence you is necessarily dark. If, if there really is only two seats left, then that could be a very helpful service to know that there are only mm. two seats left within that. But the vast, vast, vast majority of these pieces where you see that they're trying to use this concept of scarcity, of something not being uh, available, or even new scarcity, we'll see that number go down. So you'll log in and you'll see, okay, well, there's four seats left. And then you look back again in a minute. And, oh, no, there's only two seats left. I really got to really get on this and, and book this now. Um, and where something's moving from a state of being more abundant to less abundant, that can be an even more powerful push uh, for some people. Uh, people that create these designs know that these designs are psychologically powerful. And in some cases, it doesn't even matter if you know that you're being manipulated. Um, to Pavel's point about the... Um, um, about the the study that was done, one thing that I thought was curiously absent about this, um, and I don't know because I've only read a couple of articles on that study, uh, but one thing I was never uh, was able to find was the overall conversion rate. Um, so yes, there were people out there that uh, were aware that they were being manipulated, but would they still buy anyway? Um, because that can sometimes when our dark patterns, when we look at the psychology of how people interact with computers. Even if you know that you're being manipulated, uh, the effect of the pattern can still take hold and still affect you and your buying decisions, um, whether or not you're consciously uh, agreed to it. And then there is some research out there that shows that uh, this actually does happen. Right. Yeah. So the, there's not a study that I was able to find that does actually report the conversion rate. Uh, but obviously, the, the conditions are different. This is by uh, Lior Strahelovitz and uh, Jamie Liguri from the University of Chicago from August. And their results were um, when they were trying to sell an identity protection plan to, to their users, 11% accepted it uh, when there were no dark pattern conditions, 26% accepted it from what was called mild dark patterns, and then 42% responded to aggressive dark patterns by accepting this plan. And so obviously right. the, you know, what they describe as non-mild or aggressive dark patterns, um, there's certainly some opinion you could have on, is that really a dark pattern or is it not? But it's clear that at least in the immediate stage, there's certainly some impact that, uh, that happens. And the difference, you know, 11 to 42% is quite large. Uh, and this is why yeah. I'm always, always careful about metrics that don't capture what happens after this. Because if some, if you have, you know, 31% of people who would otherwise not have registered, who have now registered because you promised them something or you tricked them into doing it, how many of those are going to leave very, very quickly? How many of those are going to tell their friends, don't register for this website? So... Sure, the initial conversion is likely to be much higher, but you're also going to run into big problems down the line. Right, yeah, that um, leads me to uh, kind of an anecdote about Ryanair, um, which for people in the United States may not be as familiar with Ryanair. They're a bit like the uh, frontier or... Uh, I don't know, maybe Southwest is, is a little bit above where, where Ryanair would be, but an extreme low-cost carrier uh, over uh, based out of Ireland, 
servicing a lot of Europe and, and the areas around in there. One of the things that they were uh, charged to do at one point in time was to increase uh, conversion rates as far as their travel, uh, 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 what am I trying to say, travel insurance policies that they sold out there. So what they did was a very simple dark pattern. It was kind of a sneak into the basket sort of thing where you had to opt out of uh, their travel insurance. It was essentially you were always going to buy it unless you uncheck the box to buy it. And then eventually they had to, that helped them meet a short-term business goal at first. But as soon as people began to catch on that this was a thing, fewer people were actually starting to do that. And they ended up having to use more and more different varieties of dark pattern uh, in order to meet their business goals and metrics, uh, which ended up uh, having a very significant impact on customer trust uh, when booking with Ryanair over the course of time. But it's just one of those examples out there that. Uh, certainly exists and uh, was difficult uh, for Ryanair to try and keep that momentum going. They had to sort of go to more and more dark patterns. And, and I also have to say, too, that phrase of milder patterns, I thought it was being just a little evil or just a little dead. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, you know, he's, he's only mostly dead at this point. Uh, so it's only, only mild dark patterns. When you know, it's full on dark patterns. There's only one thing you can do, and that's rifle through their pockets and look for change. So, <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the questions that I had on my list. But uh, yeah, I'm just gonna comment that uh, those uh, aggressive incentives to sell people things like insurance, which is you know highly profitable, but uh, not a lot of people need that. Just like you know, extended warranty on TVs and all those things. Um, they just, uh, I mean, certain humans, some humans, they just uh, fall for that. Uh, and uh, they are not necessarily bad people, but it's just those bad incentives, uh, compensation incentives, they just leverage uh, that kind of a, the dark side, you know, if you will, of the uh, human nature. And, uh, uh, you know, good normal people can uh, become you know, completely corrupted and start uh, changing their behavior uh, with things like, uh, you know, dark UX uh, just to accomplish their goals and uh, increase uh, conversions because they will, you know, get paid more. They'll get a better bonus. Um, but, but I'll still ask this question, uh, both of you guys, um, as, uh, you know, product managers, right, uh, who are obviously you know a lot of them are uh, bonused on uh, the product performance um, how do you you know handle the balance between you know if I'm gonna create a little more conversions I'm gonna you know get paid a little more and maybe you know buy my kid uh, a new something right or send the kid to daycare better daycare or something um, and not do that uh, and keep the website uh, honest but uh, therefore have uh, lower conversions uh, how how would you uh, what, what would you say about that and this is like an open there's no right or wrong answer just uh, interested in your opinion because you, you obviously have uh, a lot more experience in this uh, than i do Yeah, I've been very fortunate to never work in a situation where I've been asked to introduce any of these patterns. Um, so I, I'm lucky to, to have not been in that 
place, but it is a very powerful pull. You know, we, uh, a lot of people in life kind of, you know, work to live. Um, and when you have that pull of someone over you saying, you know, we, we need to increase this metric and, you know, you've tried everything that you normally would do to increase that metric and it's not moving. Um, the temptation to do that, I can imagine, would be very strong, um, especially when you are aware that maybe the people around you aren't as in tune with how uh, particularly underhanded or uh, unethical a design practice might be. So, uh, you know, for me, one of the things I always tell people too, you always have to be careful that there's always going to be somebody out there that will do the job that you don't want to do. Um, the world is full of, of people trying to get into the UX industry at this point. It's a very booming and burgeoning industry with a lot of new uh, professionals coming into it. So it becomes at that point in time a matter of trying to educate the the people around you as far as why you shouldn't do a particular thing if there's a particular approach that is brought up that is unethical um, and drawing that line in the sand. But it is a, a very difficult thing for designers to deal with. And I don't know that I really have a great uh, explanation for how to deal with it, because at some point in time, we all got to eat. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, whether or not you take a stand and, and are willing or able to be fired for not doing something that's being asked of you, it's that's very dependent on your position in, in life and, and sort of the corporate industry. Right. Yeah. So the um, my position on this is a little bit philosophical, uh, but it kind of goes back to the very, very famous quote. You can't measure what you can't. So you can't manage what you can't measure. But unfortunately, the way that people usually mean manage, what they actually mean by manage is harvest. You can't harvest what you can't measure. So the approach of most product managers following this, oh, we must have metrics, so we're going to have metrics around how much is being consumed is really how much of, of things that are out there, of human attention of our customers' money, of our customers' time, are we able to convert into profit? And fundamentally, I don't believe you can have a good user experience when that's the first thing that you're thinking of, when that's how you approach your work. The Ultimately, the thing that you're harvesting when you're building an app with that in mind, with your metrics being only conversion, only for my website, is you're harvesting the trust that underlies the web. This is a quote from uh, Theresa O'Connor uh, about the web's security model. And she just says, people click on links to unknown destinations and they trust that bad things will happen to them when they do so. And I think that for me, that's the most important thing about the web is that ultimately users come and trust us. They come and trust us to give them something of value in return for what they spend on our website. And it could be time and it could be money and they could understand that, okay, I'm surrendering some of my data in order to, to support this experience for advertisers or for, uh, you know, whatever business model you've come up with. But once you start violating that, you're not only ruining it for yourself, you're ruining it for everyone. For example, about a year ago, uh, Amazon has uh, now started putting in ads in wish lists. So let's say you're making a wedding registry or making a wish list for your baby, mm -hmm. and there's an ad in the wish list. There's a tiny, tiny, tiny little sponsored in gray text, very hard to notice, 
And it looks like you've added this, you know, well-meaning folks, friends, family buy this thing for you. And you look at it and you say, well, I never asked for this. And you start eroding the trust that is fundamental to the Internet. Let's say on Facebook. And I understand that Facebook is not really a great example anymore of trust. But let's say on Facebook, you're browsing. No, never will be at this point. Exactly. I think. You're, you're browsing your list of friends. And, and who's to say that Facebook hasn't decided that you have now some promoted friends, some suggested friends that paid money to Facebook to be inserted into this list. Or you look at your friend's birthday, because really that's what anyone uses Facebook for these days. Look up your friend's birthdays. And maybe my birthday is on June 7th, or maybe that's National Donut Day. And the National Donut Day company has just sponsored my birthday. Maybe I've actually not gone on a cruise when I'm posting these photos. Maybe the photos that, you know, quote unquote, I am posting are actually sponsored photos by this cruise company. So when you start doing this stuff, sure, maybe you'll spike your subscriptions or your engagements or whatever in the short term. But not only are you destroying trust in your product, you're destroying trust in the web. You're destroying trust in everyone's product. And that's the least responsible thing you could possibly do. Like ultimately, I don't don't care. I don't care if you're a Facebook product manager and you decided I'm going to drive Facebook into the ground. I'm going to make Facebook suck so that I get my annual bonus and I'll quit and go to Amazon. I don't care about that. What I care about is you're making everyone hate the internet and you're making it harder for other product managers in other companies that are much more honest to convince people that what they're offering is actually legit and the value that they're offering is real value that exists. Right. Especially, uh, and I have, uh, I'll make this one comment and uh, another one. And, and by the way, I, I, I love your philosophical, you know, uh, approaches, uh, Pavel. I mean, <laughs> the, I, I just love talking to you uh, with your uh, philosophy views. Um, so one comment is, uh, yeah, I mean, when we uh, interact with uh, such monsters as uh, Amazon, right, uh, and we uh, just, you know, find the product, click buy uh it comes to the door you know two days later or whatever and we've repeated this process so many times and there's so much trust that you know this huge machine works and i've noticed it myself that all of a sudden some other independent websites that i go to i just for no apparent reason i just have a lot less trust for them just because in comparison with Amazon that has, you know, built that trust with me over the years that, you know, every time I buy something, it uh, gets shipped and I uh, get the product and I'm happy. Uh, it just uh, automatically uh, affects uh, somehow uh, the perception of uh, smaller sellers. Uh, and if, uh, like you said, uh, companies like Amazon erode our trust, I wonder if, uh this will actually decrease the trust for smaller people even more or maybe maybe it will do the opposite maybe you know people will start waking up and say you know screw amazon uh, let's uh, go to the smaller people help smaller businesses so that's actually a pretty interesting um, aspect too whether uh, you know 
erosion of trust from big players will uh, erode the small player trust even more, or it will actually increase uh, the trust. Um, so that's one comment. And uh, if I may, uh, the second one, uh, I think what companies underestimate is uh, the internal damage that they are uh, doing to themselves uh, by creating those, uh, you know, incorrect incentives. Because uh, I might have uh, mentioned this example with Doug, uh, you know, a few months ago at one of the uh, episodes, but uh, it's not web related. But when I worked for uh, electronics retailer in Russia, they also uh, were pretty aggressive with uh, selling extended warranties and they obviously you know incentivized people uh, very aggressively because they were obviously in you know, a high margin and uh, what one district uh, got caught doing several stores because the district manager wanted to drive those numbers up when they talked to the customers in the store uh, so it wasn't the web so it's not like really the dark ux design but i think it's still very related because it's uh, you know the the wrong incentives to sell more stuff, um, and obviously you know that changes people's behavior. And what they did, they talked to the customers and said, okay, if your TV let's say is 500 bucks, uh, and uh, you know they will obviously you know pitch the extended warranty plan, and if the customer doesn't want to buy it, they will say, and let's say the warranty plan is 50 bucks they'll say, okay, let me give you the TV at the for like 460, right? Or 475, uh, but you buy the, uh, the warranty plan uh, for 50. Or sometimes they even uh, shaved off the entire price of the uh, extended warranty from the TV. So I'll give the TV uh, to you for 450 uh, and uh, you, you'll just get that you know extended warranty with it. So your total would be 500 anyway. And uh, obviously a lot of people, uh, you know, got it because why would i refuse a free warranty plan so and they eventually got caught because you know when people started looking at the numbers at the patterns it uh, all became clear so i mean this was at the store but uh, you know i would not exclude a possibility uh, that internal employees uh, and maybe we've even heard some of those things on the news, uh, but I just cannot really uh, relate to uh, any of them, that, uh, you know, internal employees have uh, a lot of uh, power and a lot of access to all those uh, uh, manipulation uh, mechanisms that they can just trick their managers uh, without really affecting the uh, the customers with uh, you know dark UX and things like that they can just manipulate them internally uh, and uh, you know get bonus so the company will pay uh, bigger bonuses for basically you know not getting anything real in return uh, because you know nothing has been extracted from the users so that's uh, that's kind of like my uh, comment. Yeah, it's interesting that ultimately the dark pattern does not help anybody because the users lose trust in your service, management loses trust in their employees, the employees are frustrated because they have to do this, uh, you know, these things just to get around what they think is uh, the right thing we ought to do. The people who get promoted are the people who are cheating, so all of your honest folks leave. So it's no one really wins. And this is why I thought that it was very interesting that in April, uh, Senators Mark Warner and uh, Deb Fisher of um, 
of respectively Virginia and Nebraska introduced uh, an act into the, the U.S. Senate, the Detour Act, in April to ban dark patterns. And uh, it has an, a list of some very common dark patterns and the, you know, the, the service fee or the warranty that's kind of tacked on is on there. The confusing check marks are on there. Things like confusing buttons or ads that are fake uh, download buttons, but they're not really download buttons. They just lead you to install some fake uh, virus software are on there. And, you know, this is this is a, a national problem, literally. So now you've gotten to the point of eroding trust where the government actually has to step in and say, we need to stop this race to the bottom. And I think that's quite interesting because usually the American government is incredibly technology illiterate. But, you know, the, these two senators are actually quite on the money when it comes to the very common dark patterns and then uh, listing out kind of the harm that uh, they all cause. So when the government has to come in and, and regulate the stuff that companies are trying to get away with, I think that's really a sign that they've gone way too far. So unfortunately, you know, the bill was introduced in April. It's still only at the introduction stage. So one way you could look at it is, oh, it's never going to get anywhere. But the other way you could look at it is, unless the industry figures out what it's doing on its own, these things are just going to keep, keep coming. And it's going to be a problem, and it's going to be a problem until the government solves it for us in some way that might not be ideal for a good user experience. Uh, so in the short term, someone's getting rich off of dark patterns. In the long term, the entire industry is getting regulated. So it's, it's definitely a, a risky strategy that I would not recommend. Yeah, I mean, uh, I absolutely agree that the government has to come in and start, you know, penalizing those bad actors because, you know, just like uh, uh, I think probably you follow Professor Galloway, uh, maybe you're listening to Pivot to uh, the Karis Wisher. Yes. Yeah, and uh, he just calls all those big guys unregulated monopolies, right? Because they just can do whatever they want. Uh, they confuse the public, they confuse the governments, uh, they do it absolutely intentionally. And that's why all those things, they just get dragged and delayed. And uh, yeah, obviously you need to, it would be great if uh, our lawmakers were uh, much smarter about technology or had some uh, technology background, but unfortunately that's not the, you know, the background where they are coming from. At the same time, you can surround yourself with uh, people who know a lot about uh, uh, technology and uh, just, you know, source their advice. But uh, yeah, I mean, when, when things get out of hand, which at this point uh, they are, absolutely are, um, with, you know, all those multi-billion companies with dozens of billions of cash in the bank uh, and they are still doing all those things, um, there's really no other way. I mean, who, if it's not the government, who will tell them not to do it? There is no other force. Um, users will still uh, be there uh, due to network effects. So uh, it, it will be a long time until they kind of organically fall apart. But uh, if you want to do something 
relatively fast. Uh, there is no other force uh, rather than the government. Um, so yeah, uh, Doug, any uh, thoughts on that? I'm not sure that I'm a I'm a fan of the legislation, honestly. Um, what would you propose? I, I think it's well intentioned, um, and I think that the it is a good sign that there are some technologically literate uh, politicians out there. And that's, uh, I think, going to be coming more and more the case as people who um, grew up in the digital age uh, get to be more into the age of, of what we would expect politicians to be in, you know, into their 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, but ultimately... I don't think that it can be legislated out of existence. Uh, there are too many problems with trying to implement uh, the the actual execution of those laws um, and uh, the executive power uh, to uh, bring people to court over it is, I think, going to be very devious, especially when you're trying to assign blame. You know, okay, so this company out there has a dark pattern. Who's to blame? Is it the designer that created the pattern? Is it the product manager? That told them that they had to do it. Is it the, uh, the CEO oh, who sets the priorities? The ultimate owner who uh, owner of the product, because you know ultimately, and this is another philosophical discussion, obviously, because uh, <laughs> we run into uh, those type of conversations. Who owns the product, and uh, you know, everybody has a different opinion. But uh, you know, that's exactly why there's got to be a certain. Uh, accountable people for because how do you trace uh, the decision back to the source right that's that's the real issue well this, well this is true but you know the the other thing is that many of these things are already against existing consumer protection laws um and people have been uh successfully um i, I shouldn't say people but organizations uh, have been uh, brought successfully uh to answer for some of their patterns now linkedin is one of the ones uh, that comes in uh, to mind very particularly about that, especially when they were talking about some of the patterns that they use to give uh, get people to um, sort of give away their privacy rights. And it used to be the case on LinkedIn, anything that you created um, and put on LinkedIn, LinkedIn owned the rights to use in perpetuity uh, without your consent. Um, so if you wrote an article and you posted it on LinkedIn, LinkedIn could use that article for whatever they wanted to without paying you and without asking you whether that was okay. Um, that was buried in the privacy policy, and it's kind of one of the uh, uh, burying things in the privacy policy is certainly another dark pattern that, that is maybe less interesting, but certainly <laughs> certainly exists. Uh, and LinkedIn was brought to court for that in the class action lawsuit, and they were also brought to court for it uh, to answer in terms of uh, you know other uh, legislation, uh, legislative and, and executive um, lawsuits as well. So it's it's very interesting that uh, you know people that are being brought to, to account for this, to me, it seemed more like a publicity stunt on the uh, terms of the politicians that were putting that out there. I think it was well-intentioned. I don't think it's ever going to get anywhere. Um, I, I think there are way too many practical problems with trying to implement something like that, at least at this age. Um, but it, it does point to the need for us to, as an industry, police ourselves, um, call out these patterns when we see them and uh, really put the pressure uh, on the other designers uh, internally uh, to not do these patterns and to take responsibility for making things right. Absolutely. I totally agree. The other 
flaw that I see with this legislation is there's an interesting subsection of dark patterns called, and this is not my term, this is this comes from uh, a Tumblr, it's called confirm shaming. And this Tumblr is confirmshaming.tumblr.com. And oh, I hate that pattern. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's not strictly misleading, but for example, here's here's uh, here's one notification that they have. Um, do you want to be notified when some of your favorite products go on sale? So obviously, what they're doing is this is the standard. Uh, do you want this website to send you notifications? Prompt. Well, the two options are heck yeah or nope. I'm rich. So it's not really misleading. Uh, it's very clear what's going to happen when you click the buttons, but it's still really unpleasantly nudging you towards heck yeah, which I think represents most of us, <laughs> and not nope, I'm rich, which is really quite a minority. You know, I do feel right. good about myself when I say, ah, I think I'm rich enough that I don't have to deal with this. And I click nope, I'm rich. I'm like, all right. Or there's another one uh, for uh, a newsletter for a gardening website. And the button is, no thanks. I know everything about gardening. So, you know, if you have the confidence to click it, it makes you feel like a little bit of an expert. But if you don't, it just makes you feel bad. It makes you feel like you're missing out. It's, It's gaming on the same psychological factors that really Facebook and Twitter and all the big social networks are utilized to get people to visit them again and again and again, which is the fear of, of missing out or FOMO. Uh, you're afraid of, right, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm not going to get this thing, this thing, you know, oh, all your friends got this. Why wouldn't you get it? You know, something's going on. There's some kind of information. And just, it may not be misleading, but digging into that and forcing people to click the button it sets a really bad tone for your brand. And right. I'm looking at a notification like that. I'm just thinking, how else is this company going to manipulate me? And personally, right. like, yeah. now every time. If, if I can find the button, because sometimes it's really hard to find where that close button is. You have to play a little bit of a game. <laughs> uh, you know, is it is it light gray on dark gray? Is it on the right? Is it on the left? My favorite is when it's on the bottom left, but not in the on the corner. It's sort of in the mm-hmm. middle corner. Uh, it's it's like right. a scavenger hunt. It's fun, mm-hmm. but it's not really mm-hmm. what you sign up for when you click on that website. Yeah, the the harder the the close button is to find, the more alarm bells should be going off. <laughs> um, oh yeah, that's certainly what that's one of the Look at that. Yeah, and, and you know what you're talking about there, uh, Pavel, really points to what I call an emotional black mom is kind of, kind of a larger sort of grouping of dark patterns. And that's anything that's using your emotions to try and get you to make a decision that you wouldn't otherwise make. And comfort shaming is, is probably the most prominent one. It's the one that uh, annoys me most when I see it. One thing I've, I've always wanted to do that I haven't had a chance to do um, is to do a study to see uh, how confirming actually affects user behavior. As I know me personally, if I see a, a website that, that confirms me and, and says, you know, what uh, gives me one of those terrible button choices, uh, honestly, I'm taking that as a sign that uh, you're going to be emotionally manipulating me in other ways, and I'm going to leave and never come back. Uh, it'd be interesting to take a look and see how many other people have that same sort of attitude towards these uh, emotional, mani- mani- yeah, emotional manipulation 
patterns. Yeah, and uh, I uh, I like your point, Doug, that uh, you know legislation may not be effective, which you know obviously there's a high chance that it will not be, um, and that we all should kind of police that. Uh, and obviously, you know, you can take uh, a lot of those websites or features of websites or apps to Twitter, and uh, you know your uh, community will kind of get introduced to that. But maybe uh, maybe there is an opportunity like a business opportunity to create like a browser extension, right? And uh, just blacklist all those uh, websites with RQX. Maybe something like this exists. I don't know, this is a real time thought from me, but uh, maybe, you know, you just kind of take a screenshot of the web, of that, you know, screen that is trying to trick you, kind of circle with a red marker, like, you know, here's the dark US, UX, because, you know, that button shouldn't be here, it should be there, or that's what they're trying to do. And you just kind of add that to the database. And when other people with the same extension in the browser land on that website, they will kind of get that pop-up warning, you know, dark UX uh, detected before, and here are some of those screenshots you can take a look at. Right. So, you know, maybe... Uh, it's uh, an interesting idea, actually. That'd be super fascinating. It, it does. You hear really a lot of folks saying, "Oh, AI is always going to take over, right? Every every single job, right. that's <laughs> machines, robots are going to do." But the thing is that machines are not very good at a being innovative and b really understanding what people want. But something like dark patterns, which are usually not very creative, they're actually very good at uh, detecting. So I think that it, it would be much easier to create a tool used by users to detect manipulation than it would be to create a tool used by companies to manipulate users. So I think that in the future, we're actually going to see some of these tools created by users and not by the companies to crawl the web and figure out where should I not go? Where is it a waste of my time? because they're going to try and manipulate me into giving them my money or my attention. Yeah, and some of these patterns could certainly be observed through, uh, through AI and prevented that way. Um, some of them are a bit more difficult and require some more language-type skills, like what we're talking about with conference shaming. You know, that pattern of, you know, do you want to sign up for my, mm -hmm. my uh, mailing list? It's a pretty common one, and it can be done in a way that isn't, you know, trying to manipulate people, which is a simple yes or no um so th there is a bit of that there's also the going back to hamlon's razor right sometimes bad design is just bad design there might not be anything intentional behind it um I, so how I do think... we parse those pieces out why should you if it looks uh, like a dark that, pattern uh, and it talks like right. a dark pattern and it clicks like a dark pattern it's the dark pattern. It doesn't matter what the intention was. Yeah, I was just going to say that well, I, bad, bad, bad UX is bad UX, but if there's, you know, intention to make user do something and confuse the user, uh, that that automatically would fall into dark. I mean, just like Pavel said, yeah, if it uh, walks like a duck and squacks like a duck or whatever that word is. Um, quacks <laughs> like a yeah. duck. There we go. <laughs> well, I, like I, 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 <laughs> exactly, and, and uh, peace was never an option. But um, <laughs> that's uh, 
you know, I, I will say that, you know, from a practical perspective, yes, it doesn't make a difference. But from um, a philosophical perspective, I personally don't want to penalize people uh, for, for bad design. I'd rather teach them about it um, and teach them how to be better, which is part of the reason why I've been working on this class on dark patterns and this book on dark patterns for for some time um, is because I, I think that there is a large educational piece that exists that could really help people kind of eliminate these and, and kind of know what to look for and, and know when to call them out and when to say no to a particular pattern. Um, that's you know, kind of one side of things. But I also think there's another piece of this too, that sometimes it's difficult to draw the line between what is influence and what is a dark pattern. So. One of the examples I like uh, for this uh, Van Move, they're a bicycle company out of, uh, I think they're out of the Netherlands. They sell high-end bicycles and they were having a problem where they were having a lot of their shipments damaged. Um, they would send out bikes in the mail, put them in their Van Move bike box, and they were just getting damaged on the way to, uh, to clients. So what they did is rather than change anything about their packaging or change shipping providers or anything like that, they simply put... Uh, an image of a kind of a TV icon on their box, very large TV icon with a picture of a bike on it. Um, and since their boxes are very, very close to the size and shape of a flat screen TV box, uh, they were uh, handled much more carefully. The damage rates actually fell 80%. Now, Van Boof didn't actually go on and say there's a TV in this box. They simply played off of people's propensity to kind of scan for information, you know, access a pattern within their brain and say, okay, this is something similar to what I've seen before. So I know that I need to handle this a bit more carefully. Um, but then you go a step further beyond that. Um, there was a uh, 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 snowboard company uh, called Signal Snowboards uh, who took things a step further. Um, and what they did, they were having similar problems with damage rates. What they did, rather than um, try and use a, a pattern, and just a pattern rather without any language associated to it, box was very similar to what you might see fluorescent light shaped in. So they actually put their brand name signal on it, but then they put on the box the labeling that said uh, fluorescent lights um, enclosed. Uh, so took it a step further. It becomes the question of both these designs out there are meant to try to influence your behavior by uh, utilizing your pattern recognition um, and how you go about doing that. But most people that I've talked to, and I certainly feel this way too, feel that the signal design kind of th took things a step maybe too far and is a little bit too underhanded and, and less ethical. So you could consider either of them to be dark patterns, but when you look at the three criteria that I have for dark patterns, you know, is it intentional? Um, is, you know, is this something that was an intentional design? Yes, okay, this is something that, that falls under that intentional design piece. Um, does it trick the user into doing something they wouldn't do otherwise? If you're looking at the user being the shipping company, yes, they're being tricked into handling this package more carefully than they might otherwise do. But then the, who gets the benefit, right? So the benefit, in, in my definition of dark patterns, has to fall disproportionately to the organization creating the design. In this case, in both the Van Move and the Signal case, um, everybody's benefiting. The company that's putting out the products has fewer uh, damaged products, which is good also for the users as well, um, and that they're much happier getting products that are shipped to them whole. And it also benefits the shipping company because they have to deal with fewer uh, shipping problems and fewer insurance claims and, and uh, less of a, a monetary impact. 
So it fails one of my three tests, but we all, but most people feel, that especially that signal design, is fairly underhanded. And I think we're going to be seeing more and more maybe subtle or enhanced dark patterns along these lines that becomes a bit more ethically gray. Uh, and then something that we're going to need to keep an eye on for and discuss as an industry going down the road. So personally, I think that that's a very good point. I would disagree with you only on the point where you mentioned that the company might be considered a kind of user. The company is not a user. The company is a contractor that the shipping, so the, the vendor has entered into a contract with, and if the vendor has to ensure that the company goes through with their end of the contract and they can find a way to do that, maybe it's a little bit uncomfortable if you think about it, but if they were all breaking their contract in the first place, I think it's a very different situation than if they were the customer doing this and the customer was being manipulated. Then the other thing is, this also goes back to issues of trust, where I wouldn't say necessarily this is a causation relationship, but I was recently trying to ship something through, uh, through FedEx, and I asked them, how do I get a fragile sticker on my box? And they said, well, we don't do that anymore because people abused it. And so now uh, no one treats any package like the fragile label is uh, is actually honest. And, and they just wouldn't let me put it on at all. So I'm not going to say that it's wrong necessarily to, to, to you know use these tricks to get the shipping company to treat your package the way they're supposed to be treating it in the first place. But you do run up against uh, business model issues. And that's something that that kind of design really can't solve. It's in a league that it just can't touch. It's on a different a layer of abstraction as far as uh, influencing it is concerned. Yeah, that's well, sure, a great right. example. Mm-hmm. And, and you're not, you know, you're not wrong that maybe the shipping company you wouldn't necessarily consider them as a user. Personally, I do, but I think we can, reasonable people can disagree on that, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but you know, going on to that, if you're only considering the the actual purchaser as a user, as you said, it does have an effect on the user in the long run. In that, you know, in this case, other people that are genuinely shipping things uh, that are, say, fluorescent light bulbs or TVs, are going to have to deal. Um, eventually with higher damage rates that people are mimicking uh, these types of behaviors and essentially using what amounts to their own custom fragile label of their package. Um, It's the same concept. It's just we're using a pattern to say that this is fragile rather than an actual language label to say that this is fragile. Um, So it it does end up affecting the end user in one way or another. Um, And and how ultimately, you know, it points to the, the crappiness of shipping companies <laughs> and that there's a, a need for that to, to be solved. Um, and certainly, you know, from a business perspective, there's a, an opportunity for that out there for someone to step up and take that on. But uh, from a user experience perspective, um, this is an example of a pattern that falls somewhere in between that is having negative effects and is affecting things in ways that we might not have expected. Um, when we first see these patterns sort of becoming prominent. Okay. Well, we are 
approaching one hour and I think it has been a really great and extensive conversation. Um, any other uh, last comments, guys? I think we uh, talked about quite a few stuff and uh, discussed uh, quite a few things and uh, discussed, uh, you know, pre pretty interesting perspectives, which was, you know, pretty educational uh, for me personally. So uh, that, that's pretty much the primary reason why I do this podcast is to kind of learn from people who are much smarter than me. So <laughs> like you guys. Um, so any closing comments? Uh, we'll uh, probably be uh, wrapping up at this point. Yeah. So my only closing comment would be that you had mentioned earlier, oh, product managers encourage these things. I do think that generally designers are not the ones that are likely to come up with these things. But if they do, uh, just because a lot of the time, metrics that are more susceptible to dark patterns are easier to come up with. But also, you know, if designers have product managers asking them to build for these dark pattern metrics, I would strongly encourage that either the designer or the product manager by, you know, take a look at uh, John Cutler's upcoming book, on the North Star metric, because it's a really good guide for how to come up with metrics that actually bubble up towards your product vision and your ultimate company goal, rather than these short-term things. And personally, after reading it, uh, it really helped me a lot in figuring out how can I create metrics that are meaningful and how can I create features that are meaningful in the context of these metrics rather than just saying, oh, let's boost, you know, conversions without really paying attention to what is the impact that boosting conversions does. It's not enough to just look at the out outcome. So mo most companies only look at the output. Looking at the outcome is a start. But the thing you ultimately must do is look at the, out uh, the impact. And if you're doing dark patterns, your impacts are going to be terrible. But if you're not looking at them, you'll just never see it and you'll keep doing them. So start looking at the impacts and hopefully you will realize that dark patterns don't pay off. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd echo the sentiment that dark patterns don't pay. And, and uh, you know, I think if anybody listening to this takes any single lesson uh, from this from this uh, this whole discussion, it's that uh, in the long run, dark patterns will not give you the benefits that you're looking for. Uh, you know, really interested uh, to read uh, the book Pavel mentioned. And of course, I've got my own piece coming out uh, at some point in time, although that is not imminent at this point, as my project has rapidly ballooned um, <laughs> out of scope for what I what I hoped it would be. But uh, you know, I, I, I would also say, by you know, as my closing point. The most powerful way for us as uh, a community to make these things go away is to call them out when we see them, uh, to hold companies accountable um, and to make sure that they are visible um, and called out for what they are. Uh, so my challenge to the folks listening to this podcast is that if you see a dark pattern, call it out. Um, and, uh, you know, there is uh, uh, quite a few different people online that will We'll share that darkpatterns.org um, does a lot of work uh, to share dark patterns. I'll always share any dark patterns that people tag me in. And the more visibility we get on these, the more pressure we can get on the companies to change these patterns and behaviors. And ultimately, that will be the most successful way uh, of trying to get these eliminated, uh, at least in the near term. 
Awesome. Love it. Love it. Yeah, and like uh, Doug, you mentioned before, uh, I personally never had a, a chance, you know, quote unquote, to uh, work with UX uh, or dark UX patterns. Nobody ever, you know, forced me to do something bad that I knew uh, would be, you know, confusing or uh, deceptive for the user. So we are on the same page here. Well, guys, thank you so much. Great conversation. Uh, we uh, we should do it again in a couple of months. You know, some uh, some <laughs> other interesting topic. Uh, and by the way, uh, Pavel, to your uh, AI um, uh, point, uh, we might be doing uh, a dark AI UX pretty soon because you know there's so much controversy. Uh, at the end of the day, AI uh, is a designed product with the logic built into it and uh, we are already seeing bad results how you know underrepresented people are being you know miss whatever the applicable words are right like the bias against races and things like that um, that AI uh, does because they were just programmed by you know white people uh, so with all kinds of biases so we, we might uh, do uh, an episode on uh, dark AI UX sometime. So, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I mean, I I did work as you know at a, a crowd computing machine learning company, so I do have a little bit of firsthand experience with that situation. But on the other hand, uh, hedging against the inevitable machine uprising, I don't want to give too much away. So we'll see. We'll see about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll sit wrapped on the side of that discussion because AI is not my not my strong suit. But uh, yeah, it, it feels like uh, you know the, the Matrix and, and Terminator movies are getting ever closer every day. So whatever we can do to to stop the coming apocalypse is great with me. <laughs> All right. Well, it's getting really late in New York, so I want to let Pavel go so he can, uh, you know, hit the bed and uh, get up for work next morning. Uh, thank you so much, guys, again, and uh, thank you everybody for uh, tuning in. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoy this conversation. I surely did, uh, and uh, we'll see you again soon. Thank you. Absolutely. Take care. Bye.